Speaking of good wishes, Ukraine's Ministry of Defense today shared a thank you to Canada on social media, calling Canada our primary league ally. Maybe they meant premier league ally, but primary league ally. The flesh and blood of our future victory all set to BTOs. You ain't seen nothing yet. And with a little Bob and Doug McKenzie thrown in at the end, it was very Canadian. But it comes at a time um, when there's been a lot of bleak assessments about what's going on in Ukraine. The head of NATO today saying that the fighting in Ukraine could spin out of control and become a war between Russia and NATO. That's an ongoing fear. Um, Jens Stoltenberg saying, quote, if things go wrong, they can go horribly wrong. I think we've all uh, been cognizant of that, been well aware of that since the beginning. Meantime, Vladimir Putin was in a bad mood today, as always. He accused the West of using Ukraine as a tool against his country. Ukraine's finance minister says financial support for his country in their war with Russia is an investment in freedom and democracy far beyond his country's borders. So here, uh, uh, Serhii rather Marchenko says Western countries should regard their contributions as quote self-preservation. It's uh, not a charity to support Ukraine. We are not uh, asking this money. We are trying to protect uh, freedom, democracy of all civilized world. And this comes as Ukraine's civilian population continues to suffer as Russian missiles destroy critical infrastructure in the country, knocking out electricity and heat to millions of people for hours and hours on end, sometimes days. Uh, we've had Michael Borsicu on this show before. He's someone I met covering um, the war in Ukraine back in 2014 in Donetsk. He was working for the OECD at the time. Uh, he spent, he's Canadian. But he spent an awful lot of time in that part of the world. Uh, he's back there now. He's uh, based there. Uh, but we caught up with him uh, on a stopover in North America this week. Uh, and Global Affairs Analyst and Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council, Michael Borsicu, joins us now from San Francisco. Thanks so much for your time. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back with you, Ben. Uh, you've spent a lot of time just moving around Ukraine of late. W what's it like? I mean, it's it's hard to picture from the outside just how devastating these attacks on infrastructure have been, but one can only imagine being Canadian what it's like to lose power and electric, you know, lose power and heat in December. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, my focus has been actually southern uh, Ukraine, mostly the port city of Odessa, but spending a lot of time shuttling back and forth into Moldova, which, by the way, has also had power outages because of the Russian aggression on the power infrastructure. But yeah, it's it's something a phenomenon Ben that's very difficult to project on on TV or in print because what is happening and at least in my point of view is kind of a drip by drip degradation of the Ukrainian economy, the Ukrainian infrastructure, and Ben, you know, it's so sad to watch up close because Odessa has among the most I think resilient and business savvy people in the country. And they're fighting. They're really fighting to keep their businesses open, whether, you know, it's a hair salon or a restaurant or an enterprise that caters to tourists. They're all struggling really, really hard. In fact, um, before the strikes happened, a lot of them weren't even making a profit. They were just keeping their places open to, um, you know, service clients, but also to to keep their staff employed. So that's my big worry that kind of under the radar you'll have these uh, businesses go out. And in fact, one that I'm f very familiar with, it's a restaurant on St. Catherine Square in Odessa called Dizengoff, um, owned by friends of mine. Mm. When I when I left this past trip, they were already operating pretty much by candlelight. They were down to two items on the menu. And then they wrote me that they had to close down temporarily because they're just 
wasn't enough uh, power to operate a business. But, you know, having said all that, I think after the first Russian missile strikes that were focused on Kiev uh, quite a few weeks ago, the fear that a lot of Ukrainians told me they had at the beginning of the war has now turned to anger. It's pretty amazing. But there was a poll recently done. It uh, asked Ukrainians how long they're prepared to endure power outages. And I think it was something like 90% responded that we're we're good to go for two or yeah. three more years, as long as there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel. For example, Ukraine becomes a member of the EU. So if Putin thought he was going to break the will of the Ukrainian people by doing this kind of surgical strikes on infrastructure, he's really wrong there. Yeah, I mean, I gather the tactic is to destroy the shell, right? Uh, and, and to drive people out. I mean, this is something you've talked about recently in, yeah. in relation to Holdemore. Uh, but but the idea is to get people get people to flee the country again, to create some sort of crisis for the government uh, by making Ukraine, or at least certain Ukrainian cities, unlivable. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the Russian uh, strategy here. And, you know, Ben, it's got to be said, too, that... Um, the Russians or the Soviets at that time were the ones who basically built the power infrastructures, power generation infrastructure. So they know very well where a lot of these installations are, and that's why they're able to target them. But the Ukrainians have become very good at uh, shooting down incoming missiles. For example, the other day, I think there were about uh, 70 in all and 50 were shot down. So that's that's pretty good. They're getting better at it. They're getting more Western weaponry. But yeah, I mean, if these strikes continue... If they're they're long outages we've seen on some days of, you know, 20 hours or whatever, people are going to be forced to either flee to their kind of countryside homes where they're actually ironically better equipped to deal with cold or to go abroad. But I'm getting the sense that I mean, I've been to the Ukraine-Moldova border many times recently, and you're not seeing, you know, a massive wave of people fleeing. And, you know, there's another interesting phenomenon going on too, Ben, because I've been traveling a little bit, you know, in the UK and Canada, US, talking to Ukrainians who have immigrated here, at Mm -hmm. least temporarily. A lot of them are struggling with the housing crisis, with the inflation costs, and that's actually driven some to, to go back home. Yeah, one can imagine that um, given all that's going on in all our countries with inflation and so on, that uh, right. that it has been tough to adapt. When we look at what's happening in Ukraine, these, this idea of these attacks inside of Russia are very interesting. The airfields that were struck, mm-hmm. everyone's been very tight-lipped about it, but it certainly led to a lot of speculation about uh, Ukraine c- capabilities right now. Yeah, very, very interesting phenomenon. And these are quite deep inside Russia and on military bases as well. Also, of course, there was that strike a while ago on the Kerch uh, Strait Bridge, uh, which links Crimea with the Russian mainland. You know, it's something the Ukrainians are being a bit tight-lipped about, and for good reason, because they have actually been begging the West for quite some time for uh, more advanced weaponry, for example, missiles that can go beyond 40 kilometers. They seem to have some kind of kit now that can strike in inside Russia. They seem to be more drones, though. You know, when the Kerch Bridge was struck, uh, there was almost immediate retaliation from Russia. But we're seeing, I think, less and less of that, which may indicate that um, Russia is its capability to respond has been seriously degraded. We could be at a point where the kind of balance of power in this war is shifting. Yeah, you get the sense that the the Russians are very much digging in for the winter now in the east. Uh, we've seen some sort of change in tactics. It looks a lot more defensive than it had been in the past. Well, it's been they've been on the back foot for a while, but now it right. looks like they're really digging in. 
Yeah, yeah, they are. And I think um, this war is also shifting, at least from the Russian side, more to a technology war, because Russia has been so badly humiliated on the battlefield, on the front lines, sending, you know, convicts that have been freed from prison, homeless people and others to the front line. You know, they're basically cannon fodder for the Russian war machine. It's quite sad to see. So what do the Russians do? They do what they do. They do best. They turn to their well-worn playbook that was developed in Chechnya and Syria of massive bombing of civilian populated centers. Mm. Just a headline today uh, that I included in my blog was, uh, it looks like Russia is uh, locating more grad missiles at that occupied Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Right the biggest in Europe. And of course, I've been saying this for a long, long time. A big fear is that they will use that as more and more as a base to strike the Ukrainians. Ukrainians can't strike back, obviously, because an accident could happen. But I'm also fearing that the Russians, when they finally retreat, will launch some kind of accident or strike on the plant that will cause a disaster. It's it's possible, given their record in the past. And of course, that would have potentially devastating consequences. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky, Person of the Year. I don't think any of us would have predicted that in January when we first spoke, but what a year it's been for the Ukrainian president. Indeed, what a year it's been. This is, uh, don't forget, a TV comedian turned president. He's come an incredibly long way. You know, I, 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 I often say nothing can prepare you to become a wartime president. When he was running for president, we all had our doubts, we have to admit. You'll recall he was running against President Poroshenko, who is a very seasoned politician. But Zelensky was able to really appeal to, for example, pocketbook issues among Ukrainians. And uh, his showmanship definitely came into play then as it is now. And I think a lot of those who doubted Zelensky and voted for Poroshenko, they have now come on side and they're supporting their president. He still does his nightly addresses to the Ukrainian people. He's very, very good at motivating them and say, stick with us. We will get through this. We will get to victory. And now there's even talk among his circle of going into Crimea. Reclaiming that and possibly the occupied Donbass. I also have to say, Ben, and I, I don't know why um, time neglected this, but uh, you know, it isn't only him, of course, uh, but it's also his wife, Elena Zelenska. Uh, she was recently um, in the US. She was recently in the United Kingdom where she met with uh, King Charles. Eloquent, smart, empathetic. She's been doing the traveling that Zelensky can't. He hasn't left the country since the war started. So, you know, we have to uh, recognize her too. And then finally, you know, Zelensky is going a bit further afield now. He was recently, you know, near the front line. He's uh, traveled to various parts of Ukraine. It's not someone who is fearful, who is, you know, hidden in their bunker. He's really going out there and supporting the trips. Now, finally, you know, when the war draws to a close, and it will. Of course, there'll be questions about why didn't he warn his people sooner that a war is coming? Why is martial law still in place? Those types of things. But uh, overall, um, just an amazing uh, person. He's the man for the moment uh, for this particular situation. You've been there now. We spoke back in January before this was even a, a possibility. Then we've spoken over the course of the year. What you, It must be to look back now, um, where we are, as you mentioned, nearly 300 days into this war, um, it seems remarkable that that here we are. I don't think anyone thought that Ukraine would hold out this long and this well against Russia. No, um, it looked um, actually very bad at the beginning, remember, because there were multiple simultaneous strikes, including on the capital. 
But um, in terms of the Ukrainian success, is absolutely incredible. The Ukrainians do not telegraph very much ahead of time of what they're about to do. But as you know, they've uh, uh, liberated Kherson, which was the only regional center that Russia was able to capture. They're pressing ahead. I just looked at the map today compared to what it was a few months ago. And you see that the color red where Russian occupied lands were shrinking quite significantly. The big question now, uh, Ben, is whether they'll be able to hold on to that land bridge connecting mainland Russia to Crimea and Mariupol is within there. And of course, whether they'll be able to hold on to uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, those areas that they occupied way back in 2014. So um, it is winter time, but I think, um, you know, the predictions that the Ukrainians would their Ukrainian advances would slow because of the winter weather uh, haven't come to pass. In fact, Canada is among a number of countries providing Ukrainians with winter gear, winter clothing, that sort of thing. And compared to the way the Russian uh, mobilized uh, troops uh, show up, it's just night and day. You're seeing video and images of conscripted Russian uh, soldiers just totally unprepared for the cold weather, poor training, uh, rudimentary weaponry. So that's, that's also going to be to the Ukrainian advantage. But finally... Uh, another worry is, again, that the Russians will, not doing well on the battlefield, will revert to using long-range uh, missiles to strike at critical infrastructure and populated centers. So it's crucially important that the West continue not only providing the Ukrainians with advanced weaponry, but also giving them the ability to close their skies to incoming Russian missiles. That's a conversation we've been having since February. Michael Borsky, yes. thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Anytime, Ben.